The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In his series on the book of Revelation, Elder Buddy Abernathy has been dealing with the seven letters to the seven churches found in the second and third chapters. Today, he begins looking at the Philadelphia church. In all the other letters to all the other churches, there's at least some criticism that the Lord levels against the church for something they're doing wrong, but not in the letter to the church at Philadelphia. Instead, he gives an encouraging message to them to keep on keeping on and to keep looking to Him for all of their help. May we also be encouraged to look to Him for our help, both individually and as a church, in the troubled times in which we live. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Hey, it is what? 
Churches in the book of Revelation tonight, and the church we're going to look at is the church at Philadelphia, and this is the sixth of the seven churches that Jesus addresses, and I want to go ahead and say this, that I think there's some lessons here that will parallel or apply to our experience here at Zion over the past 10 years. Now, this is one of the few churches that the Lord did not criticize in one or more areas. When he addressed each of these churches, he would say, I know thy works told the church at Ephesus, he says, I know thy works. And he said, thou hast left thy first love. He told the uh, church, won't well, look at all of them, but for example, he told the uh, church at Pergamos, I know thy works. And he says, I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them, them that hold the doctrine of Balaam and also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. He says, the one we looked at last time, to the church at Sardis, which Brother David mentioned in his prayer, he says, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. But as we look at the uh, church at uh, Philadelphia tonight, I can't find anything that the Lord said in a negative way about this church. So we want to look in Revelation chapter 3 and beginning with verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Now, we said that the Lord does not 
criticize anything about this church. You may read that phrase where he says, Thou hast a little strength, and see that in a negative light. Now, I don't think he's saying here uh, the same thing that he was saying to the church at Sardis. You know, they were a weak church. They had a name that they were alive, but Jesus said they were dead. This church at Sardis probably had a fairly large membership. But the problem was with not the quantity of members, but the quality of the members. They were worldly-minded people. They were not distinguished uh, from people out in the world. The church had become like the world. Now, I believe here in the church at Philadelphia, uh, when he speaks of them and says, Thou hast a little strength, he's speaking to the size of the church. And I think that parallels us here, that they had little strength, not in that they were a worldly, corrupt uh, church, but he's speaking, I believe, rather to the size of the church. Our situation here, about 11 years ago, there was one member. So you could say in that way that Zion Church had a little strength. There may have been problems or things about the church at Philadelphia that diminished their numbers. But at this point, this small group of believers... We're on the right track. You know, when the church here got down to one member, and Brother Chris shared today about uh, Sister Loreen began to ask uh, Brother Tim to hold some Sunday night meetings, we could say she was on the right path. There was little strength, but she was on the right path. And I believe that's the idea here, and I believe that's, why the Lord doesn't speak critically of this church because the little strength has to do with the size of the church, not the fact that like the church at Sardis, they were weak because they were not spiritual like they ought to be. So that's the way I think we need to look at that phrase when he says, thou hast a little strength. So as we try to go through some of this, I want you to, in your mind, think of how this applies to Zion Church. And I think you'll see that we've experienced some of the blessings that he addresses here, especially with regard to an open door. And we'll see that, furthermore, that we can experience more blessings as a result of what we'll observe about the church at Philadelphia. So in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 3, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true. Now the word holy uh, means, especially in the Old Testament, sacred. It indicates that which is pure and even sinless. 
And one of the best illustrations of what holiness is, which I believe has already been referenced this weekend, is in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah gets a vision of the Lord, and notice what he says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So God is holy. You know, I don't know if this is the way to interpret it, but... I think we can consider that when he says the Lord is holy, 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 that we can apply that to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. So he is a holy God, and Jesus in writing here to the church at Philadelphia is telling them, I am that holy one. He says also that he is holy and he is true. Now, the I believe the way this is to be understood is in light of the multiple pagan gods that were common in this day, he was saying that I'm the authentic God, I'm the real God, I'm the genuine God. You remember when Paul preached at Mars Hill in Acts chapter uh, 17, I think it's verse 23, he came upon that altar to the unknown God. You know, they had altars to all kinds of different gods, and for fear that they would leave one out, they had an altar to the unknown God. And Paul said, that's the one I'm going to preach to you about because obviously you don't know the one true and living God. So I believe that's the idea here is Jesus is saying, I'm the real, genuine, living, authentic God. Amen. He says, I'm he that hath the key of David. Now we want to spend a little time considering this phrase because he talks later on in the same verse that he's the one that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. In other words, Jesus not only has the key, but no, I mean, Jesus has the key of David. And he's the one that has the authority and the ability to open and close this door that we'll look at. But first of all, what's the significance of Jesus saying, I have the key of David? Let's think about that first. Why is it the key of David? Well, you know, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. They, uh, Jesus describes himself as the root and offspring of David. 
That means he is, he is the one from whom he is the uh, source of David's life. David uh, uh, came from him. He's the root of David, but he's also the offspring of David. Now the meaning here is the first part when it says that he is the root of David, that emphasizes his deity, that he is God, that he is the creator, that he preceded David, that he created David. He's God. And then to say that he's the offspring of David is to, is to uh, consider his humanity. That as far as him coming in the likeness of sinful flesh, in terms of him as the word of God being made flesh and living among us, in that sense, he's the offspring of David. David was that uh, royal line from which Jesus came. And in many ways, we can see that David is a type of Christ. He says in Luke... 132, when we think about the key of David, it says regarding Jesus, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. So they're speaking to the fact that Jesus is the offspring of David. So you see, when he, talk, when, he, when he refers to this key as the key of David, that's what's under consideration. But the thing that I think is most significant as far as what we want to understand tonight is this idea of Jesus having the key. What's that all about? Well, first of all, the, we all would think that a key means you have access to something. You know, I have a key to the church buildings. Several others have a key to the church building. We have access to the building. Uh, the key here in a spiritual sense is referring to an emblem of authority or sovereignty. The ability, the right, and the power to access something that others don't have the right or the ability to access. Now, this is a principle that is often uh, ascribed to God. Notice in the oldest book of the Bible in Job, Job chapter 12 and verse 14. Now this is speaking of God in a general way. Behold, he breaketh down, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. Notice the same idea there. He breaks down, and if God breaks it down, you can't build it back. He shuts up a man, and if he shuts up a man, you can't open him. In other words, we're... We're dependent upon God to give us access, to give us deliverance. We cannot do these things on our own. That's the idea. 
Now, notice also in Isaiah chapter 22, we actually have a prophecy about the fact that Jesus uh, has the key of David. Isaiah chapter 22, and I'm not going to take the time to prove to you that this is a reference to Jesus, but you can read the 22nd chapter of Isaiah and and come to that conclusion yourself. But notice in verse 22, it says, And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. So you see, Job ascribed this principle to how God works. He can bless and none can hinder. He can hinder and none can bless. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came that uh, Jesus would, would be as this key. He'd have this key. And let's look at one more before we consider this door that the key opens. Remember I said that a key is an emblem of authority or sovereignty. In Revelation 1, verse 18, Jesus says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. You see, the idea in all of these verses is the authority and the sovereignty of Christ. He's in control over hell and death. He has access to it. He is the the final judge. He's the one that separates uh, his sheep from the goats. He is the one that has this uh, authority that no one else has. He has the keys of hell and death. Now let's look at this open door. He says there in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Now, The reason this door is open is because Jesus has the key that opens it. And of course, this is spiritually speaking. This is giving to us an idea, something we can picture in our mind. That there's something Jesus can open and give us access to that we don't have the ability to on our own. And this is where we'll begin to try to make practical application. And I hope you'll see that the Lord has opened a door here for us. Now, first of all, lest you be confused or don't, I want you to understand exactly what's under consideration here. Paul talked about a door being opened. 
But when Paul talked about a door being open, he was talking about the word of the Lord through his preaching having free course and being glorified. Think about outside of the church, outside of outside of the walls of this church building, where the gospel is preached, whether it be by a minister or whether it be by members of the church conversing with other people. You know, there's a a verse in the book of Acts that said uh, the apostles remained at Jerusalem and the disciples went everywhere preaching the word. That wasn't preachers preaching the word. That was the, the, the members of the church. They weren't fulfilling the office or role of a preacher. They weren't called of God to preach in the way that elders are, but they went everywhere spreading the truth. And notice how Paul used the open door terminology to describe his labors. First of all, in Colossians, chapter 4 and verse 3. And this shows, this is why, one of the reasons why that the primary reason for the Baptist in the 1830s was over mission boards. You know, a lot of times people think, well, it was over the doctrine. that those There were some that began to preach that Uh, People must hear the gospel in order to be saved. Now that's what it ultimately led to. You know, when you get off course, you tend to go, the farther you go, the more off course you are, unless you change directions. But the division among the Baptists in the 1830s was over mission boards. And what I mean by that is the idea of setting up a board, a group of men, separate and apart from the church who would organize and decide and make plans as to where men were to go and preach. We don't believe in that. I know Brother David, I believe, has been to Africa. He didn't have a, there wasn't a board of mission, a a mission board that assigned Africa to him. We, We believe that when God calls men to preach, He will burden men to go or there'll be those like in the book of Acts that will say, come over and help us. You know, that was true in the Philippines. That was true in Africa and other places that there were people that inquired after what we believed and said, come and help us. At the same time, there are occasions when men will say, well, I don't know why the Lord's put this burden on me, but I'm burdened to go here and preach. It may be next door. It may be the adjacent state. It may be across the country or on the other side of the world. But when God calls men to preach, He tells them where and when to preach. Not some board that's not called to preach, that doesn't have the impressions and convictions of the Holy Spirit that the minister has. Now, let's say that Brother Chris had a burden to go preach in another country. It would be in order for the church to financially support that. But see, they're not the ones making the decision as to where and when he goes. That's what it was all about. Notice what Paul says here in Colossians 4, 3. 
withal praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Now Paul is in prison. He's in bonds and even as he is physically bound in prison, he's asking the church that that the Lord would open unto him a door of utterance. In other words, he's praying that the Lord would, would cause him to come in contact with someone so that his words, what he says, that there would be an opportunity, an open door for his words to have effect. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.